Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And good morning. It's really nice to be here with you inside with air conditioning. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and I, I've been thinking a lot about kind of this regathering season as we resume services indoors. Um, and really kind of what are we doing? What are people looking for when we gather? How, how are we growing? Uh, what's God doing in our midst? And I was reminded that maybe 10, 15 years ago, I had a friend, his name was Matt. Um, I was working at a church and he was on Young Life staff. He was going to start a new Young Life ministry in a school next door. Um, it was, in a, it was a, a, a grade 9, grade 10 high school. You see, in Texas, they don't have 9 through 12 schools. Do you know this? They have junior highs and senior highs so that everyone can be on the same football team. Very smart thing to do. They want to keep all the talent together. So this was the 9th and 10th grade school next to the church. So Matt's going to start this new Young Life thing, and he had a great plan. It's a pretty good plan. Um, someone had actually donated several iPods to his ministry uh, to get started. Now, if you are younger, I don't know if I can actually paint this picture, iPods used to be amazing. Like before there were iPhones, there were these things called iPods, and they were revolutionary. You could now have music with you. Like they had commercials with, with Bono. It was, it was incredible, okay? And, and they were the hottest thing going. Um, most teenagers, even where we were, could not afford these iPods, um, but he had a few of them. And so he was like, this is perfect. We're going to have our first meeting, and I'm going to announce that we're going to raffle off an iPod at the meeting. So um, they go. It's their first meeting. Opens the doors. Teenagers flood in. They do a raffle. They give away the iPod. Everyone's thrilled. He's like, aha. Okay, next week, if there's 100 teenagers here, we're going to give away another iPod. So, you know what probably happened the next week. They opened the doors. They had, I don't know, 125, 130 teenagers there. He raffles off, gives away another iPod. Great. There's a pattern forming. Next week, if we have 200 teenagers, then we're going to raffle off another iPod. Now, what I know and can now share with you is that was the third and final iPod. <laughs> And so all the kids gathered. They had, you know, 200-plus kids. They raffled off the iPod. Great. <laughs> he thinks, I have now started this thing. The next week, they have their gathering. They open the doors. 200-plus kids come in. Where's the iPod? He didn't have one. And it dissipated about as quickly as it got going. And so it just made me kind of think about, again, what are people gathering for? Why are they coming in? I mean, like, like here at our church, I would hope, um, I mean, we have cool technology, but come on, like, that's not our main thing. We're definitely not giving away iPods, um, though they're probably pretty affordable now. <laughs> um, anyways, we're hoping that when people come, um, they're coming because they're seeking the Lord. And they, they're coming to worship him. 
They're coming to encounter the, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Um, they're coming to encounter the, the risen Jesus in our midst as, and, and really to encounter a people who are also seeking to honor and shape their lives around Jesus, following him. That, that's why I hope that folks are coming. That's why I hope that you're coming, um, not for iPods or, or, you know, spiritual tricks or, or a raffle of some sort. Um, and, and by the way, I'm not giving my friend a hard time. It's a pretty good gamble he tried. I get it. And, and actually, so we're in John 6. I think Jesus had some similar issues as my friend with the iPods. That's what I want to look at. John 6, um, this interesting dialogue with this crowd. And the first part, I would just say, is about our hungry hearts. Um, let me set the context. So last week, if you were with us, we were in the Gospel of Mark, not John, but we were looking at Jesus walking on the water. And, and we made the case, I hope well, um, that, that the, one of the main points of that passage was Jesus wanted to reveal his glory to his disciples but, but really, it's kind of a sequel to the feeding of the 5,000. Mark wants to show us how are the disciples processing the feeding of the 5,000. And that's where John 6 comes in, because this is another sequel to that miracle. But instead of the disciples processing the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, now we have the crowd. How is the crowd processing uh, what Jesus has done and who he has revealed himself to be. Um, again, just a reminder, the feeding of the 5,000, um, when I say that number, that's 5,000 men plus women and probably many children. And uh, Mark records this miracle. We see it throughout the Gospels where they're by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is teaching. He's healing people. And someone forgot to put it on the hospitality coordinator's calendar. So it gets time for snacks, for a meal. There's no food. And so they find this kid, he's got like a lunchbox of, you know, little bread, little fish. Before you know it, Jesus has miraculously fed all these people, such that there are even leftovers. Um, and that's when his disciples seem to just kind of not put things together. They get out on the water. He walks out to them. That's what happened. What about the crowd? I mean, just for a minute, imagine if you're someone who was fed miraculous lunch, how are you thinking about that? How are you processing that? Um, I think what we're going to see, and this is, again, not to be too hard on them, but that this crowd, that they've eaten their fill of this miracle meal, uh, but they're hungry for more. And I would say, you know, that they're not really hungry for more of Jesus. They're probably more hungry for his miracles at this point. Um, not who he is, but what they can get from him. And again, John puts this here not to just rip on the crowd, but to teach us. Do we come to Jesus for who he is or simply what we get from him? That's the challenge embedded in this passage. Let's look at it a little further. Um, John writes, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, uh, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? They're like, whoa, we, we were like doing a thing. You like fed us. Like we were having a moment and then you're gone. But when did you come over here? What's happening? Um, and they're coming to him. They're, they're, they're seeking him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say, you are seeking me 
not because you saw the signs. So in other words, you didn't perceive what had actually happened, um, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, Jesus accurately unpacks their motives, not to shame them, but to invite them into something better. That's what he's doing here in this passage. Um, and this entire section kind of teaches us why did Jesus do all these miracles? Like, what was the point of them? Uh, were they just magic tricks? Were they just cool? And in the Gospels, we find that Jesus' miracles usually are operating on multiple levels. At uh, first, his miracles always seem to meet an immediate need. And they show the, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Look, the hunger fed, the blind see, the lame walk. Look what has happened in your midst. But they're also supposed to be an arrow so that you, you look and realize, oh my goodness, look who this person is. And what he can do that God is with him in such a way. Uh, bishop Leslie Newbegin, he was a bishop in the 20th century um, English missionary who went to South India and actually worked to unite various denominations in South India, um, did really cool work. Um, he says that the deeds of Jesus, such as the one they had just witnessed, um, are both mighty works and signs. He says they are effective actions which liberate people from disease, hunger, and death. And they are signs which point beyond these immediate effects to the kingly rule of God present in Jesus. Get that? They are, are miracles and manifestations of God's kingdom, and they are signs of his rule. They're supposed to be both of those things all at once. Um, Bishop N.T. Wright says that God, like a goldsmith with a hallmark, or like a king with a great seal, has stamped this person, Jesus, with the mark that declares not only where he comes from, but that he carries his authority. That's what Jesus said. He has set his seal upon me. Hebrews in the New Testament puts it this way, that Jesus, and this is one of the best one-line descriptions of Jesus. So listen to this. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, he's not just there for snacks. This is not their chef on demand. <laughs> this is God incarnate in their midst. Um, and by the way, this is one of those, it's called different things, but it's a punchline passage. In other words, it's going to build up to this incredible one-liner that Jesus wants to teach and leave us with. We're going to get to that. I am the bread of life. But let's just see how he gets there, um, the buildup. Because verse 29 is very interesting. They're trying to, to process all that has happened, and he tells us the right response. It's not a trick. This is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. He said, this, is, this has happened to, to hopefully provoke faith in you. Um, John earlier said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus says, see that, perceive it. Place your faith in it. Be, uh, hold your allegiance to it. Trust in and only in Jesus, the one sent from the Father. Um, that's the point, not just the miracles. Um, but they had gotten a little stuck. And again, before I get too hard on the crowd, I mean, 
There is some humor in this passage, let's be honest. Um, uh, well, okay. Uh, some of you know I have a teenage son. Um, he's 15 years old. And um, he is growing. And it is the summer. And amazing, disastrous things happen to our pantry all the time. <laughs> where groceries just disappear into the vortex. Occasionally, he'll have friends over. And we're like, okay, who invited the horde? What just happened? Um, but here's the thing. This is a common thing right now in our household. Um, we're we're kind of taking a little bit of an easy this summer, so maybe we sleep in a little bit. I don't know, 10, 10.30, we're making breakfast. Um, Holly likes to make breakfast. He, you know, he likes, you know, eggs, bacon, like a pretty hearty breakfast, right? He, he's a teenage kid. And that's maybe 10, 10.30. We sit down to eat. We finish maybe like 11. Um, you know, we've all kind of been working before that. And in Holly's mind, she's like, cool, we're probably good for now, just like maybe like, a, like an early dinner. We just had this big meal. And we get up at like 11, do the dishes, and I swear, 11.45, he comes down, hey, what's for lunch? I'm hungry. You see, fed people don't stay fed. And we see a little bit of that humor in this passage. Again, they have eaten miraculous bread and fish. And they come to Jesus and they're like, hey man, we're hungry. Dinner was great, how about breakfast? <laughs> they're like, can you show us like any sign or can you do anything cool? And can you imagine Jesus like, are you kidding? Like, like still digesting in your belly is miraculous meal. And you don't get it. And you're asking for more. And you're coming to me just for what I can provide. Um, and so Jesus says, hey, look, um, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's like, even in Moses, like in the, in the book of Exodus, when God sent manna, it was his, it was his loving provision for his people. Like, like, you weren't supposed to just eat your food. You're supposed to go, man, the Lord has provided for us. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We pray for our daily bread, uh, for the Lord to provide what we need. And it, again, I'm not saying, like, it's okay to be hungry. And actually, if someone is hungry, just like Jesus, the first thing we should do is feed them. You know, if they have an immediate need, like, let's meet that need. And then, yeah, they probably have a more transcendent need. Let's meet that as well. It's not an either or kind of a thing. But Jesus wants it to lean um, into their true need. Because um, they're going to get hungry again. Again, it's like a teenage kid. Like once you get fed, I don't know, give it an hour, need some more food. He said there is something lasting and satisfying that will cover the hunger that won't go away. And that's what he's driving to. That's where you get to the punchline, this fulfilling feast. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying, I am your ultimate provision. I, and, and really he alone, is the one that can satisfy hungry hearts and parched souls and folks who are grieved and unsteady and quarrelsome. The only satisfaction is the Lord Jesus. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, again, reflecting on this. 
It says the bread and fish that Jesus had distributed to the crowds were there to lead the eye, the mind, and the heart to the true gift of God to his people then and there. What matters is not just what Jesus can do for you. What matters is who Jesus is. I think that's a key step for many of us to take. What matters is not just what Jesus can do for you, and he can do incredible things for you. Don't get me wrong. But the priority is who he is. And that we give him the honor and praise that he is due, the faith and allegiance that he is owed. Um, Martin Luther puts it this way, and I don't, I don't know what you think of Martin Luther. He was an old German monk, led the Reformation. He would be awesome on Twitter, and he would get in all kinds of trouble. Um, but he has a way with words. And so um, he put it this way. He said, looking at this, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? He says, he himself will be the donor, the baker, the waiter, the brewer, yes, the cook, and also the dish and the plate that gives us the imperishable food. We cannot give ourselves this food. We must obtain it from the Son of Man. There's something that only Jesus can provide, and we come to him to receive it. Um, so just as we kind of close, I, I do, that's an interesting idea. I'm the bread of life. There, there's so much, such a cluster of terms around bread and the scriptures. Um, you know, in another place, Exodus is about their hunger in the wilderness. We, we know there's a place where Jesus kind of walks that same story, right? Jesus is hungry in the wilderness. His belly's rumbling. And the tempter comes and says, hey, why don't you just do one of those cool tricks you can do? Like make yourself some Lunchables. Come on. And he doesn't. And he says, no, because I have a, a, a primary need. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we hear bread, there's this interesting sense in which we can think of our daily needs and provisions. That's natural. But more than that, the very word of God, that bread um, that we feed on and are nourished by. And of course, a little bit later, Jesus is going to extend this idea of bread coming down from heaven and manna to the feast of Holy Communion. Daily provision. God's word, the bread that sustains, God's meal that we are nourished by. All of this is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus. And this is the bread that we can only get from him. And so I would just say that the healthy, hungry Christian today um, will look for God's daily provision of bread, of course, like the Lord's Prayer tells us. Uh, but even more so, when we gather in worship, we won't gather for iPods, or, or kind of just what we can get from it, we will gather and say, hey, feed us with the bread from God's word and the bread from God's table. That's why we're here. We gather to be nourished um, by the Lord Jesus himself through the power of the Holy Spirit as his people, as we gather around his word and as we gather around his table and feast together. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.